Hey, a few weeks ago, I got to go visit my grandma, and uh, here's a picture of her. She's 93 years old. One of the, uh, one of the sacrifices that you kind of make in ministry is you have to move away from your family, and it's really hard to, to not be there um, and see here. I have two grandmas um, still alive, and uh, my grandma here, she, uh, the day we went to see her, she had uh, four or five books in her bed, 93 years old, still learning, still growing, still, still loving Jesus. She, she's my biggest prayer warrior. She's probably praying for me uh, right now. And uh, it's pretty exciting, her and, her and my other grandma. One of the uh, privileges that I've had in my life is I got to officiate both of my grandfather's funerals. And the reason that's a privilege is because these two men have really influenced my life. And uh, influenced, obviously, through my parents, they influenced me, but also directly, time talking with them, watching them, how they handled our family, how they grew, how they uh, led us, and, and, uh, and how they impacted their world has directly influenced uh, the way that I live, the way that I parent, the way that I live as a leader here in our community and in our church. And uh, so it was a real privilege. And one of the things I enjoyed doing as my grandparents got older, I'm sorry, as I got older, was I got to talk to them as an adult, and I kind of, you know, got to relate to their lives. And I would ask them questions like what it was like when they first got married and, and what it was like as they got older and what it was like when they got kids. And I loved hearing those stories because they lived differently than we did. My grandparents lived during the World War as both my grandfathers served in the World War as both my grandmothers did as well. And, and you know, life was different back then. Our nations changed during those times. Maybe you've seen some of these posters before, but uh, during the war, during the World Wars that we had, our nation all pitched in to help the war effort. You know, people gave up certain foods, luxuries that they had. A lot of people changed their jobs. What they were doing was now supporting the effort. People left their jobs to go serve in the war. A lot of women went to work for the very first time to help support their men overseas. It was an incredible time where everybody pitched in because they knew the gravity of the situation because they were at war and they realized how serious it was. And the reason I bring that up today, it sounds kind of silly because we're in a giving series, but the reason I bring that up today is because I think that here in America, a lot of us have forgotten as Christians that we are still in a war. And I'm not talking about a war with another country. I'm talking about a war with an enemy that is worse than any other enemy that's out there because this is the one who is behind every war that's out there, behind every evil that is out there. We are in a war with a very real foe. And here in America, we've kind of maybe forgotten that he exists. He's kind of tricked us into thinking that he's not there. Or he's tricked us into thinking that there just is no fight because life maybe is okay for us in our country. There's nothing going on. And the reality is there is a real war. There are people still who have not heard the name of Jesus. And they don't know that he can rescue them and save them. And there are people here in our community who have heard the name of Jesus, maybe several times, maybe all their life, but they've had a hard heart and it's just kind of hit their heart and bounced off like an arrow on steel. And we have a job to take this gospel and to give it to them and to take it around the world and to meet the needs of the world. And we live when it comes to our giving, when it comes to our, how we spend our money, as if there's no war, as if there's no battle. And so I want to start off today by looking at a passage in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6. Get out your Bibles and turn there. If you need a Bible, hey, raise your hand. We'll give you one. We got ushers coming with them so that you can follow along today. Ephesians in the New Testament, towards the end of the Bible, chapter 6, verses 10 to 12. We're going to read these three verses to get us started today. Because I want us to understand that we are at war. And the reason I bring that up is because I think that we would live differently. We would spend our money differently. What we gave to would be different if we remembered that there is a real battle that we're supposed to be involved in. And I think it would affect the way that we give. 
Ephesians 6, chapter 10. I'm sorry, chapter 6, verse 10. It says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. In other words, our struggle is not against people. But it is against rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. There is a very real enemy, and he wants to destroy your life. He wants to destroy my life. He wants to destroy our church. He wants to stop the gospel, which has helped so many people find freedom in Jesus Christ. He wants to stop that so it doesn't spread further. And so we are part of this battle, and God has taken us on as his teammates and he has given us resources so that we can fund this effort to spread the gospel all over the world to, through through our acts of love and charity and through our missions as we go out and tell people about jesus if you're uh, here today and uh, you've been a part of grace for a while maybe you knew that we were going to talk about money today as we're talking about because we're in a giving series and you kind of realize that or maybe you're here for the very first time you're visiting today. We're glad that you're here. And um, I'm glad that you're here to hear this message and what God has to say about money. Hopefully it'll give you some things to think about. But uh, one of the things I want to, uh, to kind of dispel right from the beginning is that we are not a church that talks about money because we just want your money. And if that's, gonna, if that's your impression, then you're not listening today to, to my heart and to what we've said in the past. You've not seen the move of God here. That is not our heart. That is not what we want. We don't just want your money. The reason that we talk about money, the reason that we're talking about it today, the reason that we've talked about it in the past, and quite frankly, the reason that we're going to talk about it again in the future at some time, is because God talks about it so much in the Bible. More than any other subject, in fact, when you add up all the times that hell comes up and heaven come up, and you add those together, that's less than how often God talks about money and possessions and stuff. And the reason that God talks about it so much is because it is so vitally central to our relationship with him. How I handle my finances, how I handle my giving, how generous I am as a person affects every part of my body, every part of my life like the blood that flows through it. And God knows that, so he addresses it over and over and over. God knows that his greatest competitor in, the, in our hearts for him is our stuff, is our money. And so he talks about it again and again. And we are in the middle of a war, and God intends our resources to be used in this joint effort with him to reach every person in our world. There is a lot at stake on how we spend our money. There are people's grandsons, and moms, and dads, and brothers who need to be reached with the gospel. And what we do with our finances is vitally important to that. The Bible has so much to say about money that we're going to look at lots of scriptures. You may even want to find a partner there with you, somebody who's writing all this stuff down and writing down verses, and someone who's kind of flipping the pages and and working together to, to follow along today. And I thought I'd just try to answer some of the questions that we generally have when it comes to money and the church and God. And here's the first question. Does it really matter how I spend my resources? Take a look at Matthew chapter 6. It's that first book in the uh, New Testament. Matthew 6 to see what the Bible says about it. In verse 19, Jesus here is giving one of his most famous sermons that he ever gave. And he addresses money in the midst of it. One of uh, only, uh, only one time of several that Jesus talked about treasures and money. 
Matthew 6, 19, 21. Doesn't matter how I spend my resources. Verse 19 says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. God tells us that we need to invest our money with a long-term view. When, when you sit down with your financial planner, when I sit down with my financial planner, they talk about long-term investment. They're talking about the day when I stop working or I cut back some of my paid work and, and I need to live on money that I've saved. They're talking about that retirement age. And, rea- and the reality is if that's five years away for you or 10 years away for you or 30 years away or 50 years away from you, that is long-term. But that's actually pretty short-term when you compare it to eternity. When you compare it to 10 million years from now. When you compare it to 20 million years from now, do you realize that the way that you invest your money, you have a chance to use your money that you have right now to invest in somebody or someone that's going to have an impact 100 million years from now. That's good investing. That's long-term investing. And Jesus says, don't store up treasures. Don't put all of your focus on putting all your resources into stuff that's just going to be gone. It's going to get worn out. It's going to be gone, and you're not going to be able to use it anymore. Instead, invest your resources. Invest the majority of your resources into people, into helping them know who Jesus is so that you'll have a great return on your investment. And the reason that God says that we need to do that is because he knows that our hearts follow our money, right? Look at verse 21. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What we give to, our heart all of a sudden cares about, right? I have a couple of boys. They're five and six. And a couple years ago, they were younger. I walked outside in my backyard, and uh, they were out there. And they were picking up stones, and they were throwing them against our house. I said, guys, what are you doing? They're like, we're playing baseball. I'm like, that's not baseball. And please stop throwing stones against the house. Why do I care? Because we bought that house and I'm paying for it every month. And, and I don't want anybody throwing rocks against my house, right? We care about what we invest in. We care about what we put my money in. If it was Darren's house, I wouldn't care, right? But it's my house. And so I, I want I to want be take care of that because it's my money. When I give to what God says is really important, guess what? I care about what God cares about. God knows that our resources, what we give to, that's where our heart goes. And so he tells us to give to his causes, to give to what he loves. And when we do, we show that we love God. The way that I write, the way that I look at my checkbook, and if it matches up to what God says is really important, then I know that I love God. If I look at my checkbook and it matches up, or it doesn't match up to what God says is important, then I got a question, do I really love God? Because I love the things that I care about, right? Or, or, I, or, or I'm sorry, I care about the things that's, uh, that I, of the person that I love. And here's the, here's the reason why. Look at verse 31 to 33 here in Matthew chapter 6. Verse 31 says, uh, So do not worry, saying, What are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What shall we wear? And you could probably throw in there, Where are we going to live? Verse 32 says, For pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows what you need. See, God knows what we need. We have a heavenly father who knows, and we don't need to worry about those things. Look at verse 33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. When we put God first and we're willing to give our money back to God, and we're willing to make his priorities our priorities, he says, I'll take care of you. You don't have to worry about that stuff. I'll take care of you. And um, here's the thing. God wants to be number one in your life. 
God wants to be number one in your life. Tara and I still watch American Idol. I'm kind of ashamed to admit that. I told someone that this week, and they said, nobody watches American Idol anymore. And uh, we still watch it. And this week, they went down to the top eight. And uh, they should be really proud of themselves, right? I mean, eight, the eight that, that are there. Because think of the thousands of people around our country that have tried out for that show in all the stadiums around our country. And they have made it to the top eight. They should be incredibly, incredibly proud of themselves. But here's the thing. God's not into being in your top eight. It's different with God. God's an upstairs saying, yes, I'm top eight. Yes, they slid Diet Coke down a little bit and I'm eight now. You see, God's not interested in being in your top eight. God's not interested in even being in your top five. And to be honest, God's not interested in being in your top two. You see, God is not a runner up. With God, it is one or it is nothing. God is number one or he is nothing. And God says, I need to be number one. And you'll show me that by what you do with your money. If you give to the things that I love, if you care about the things that I care about, you'll show me that I'm number one. I'll take care of that stuff. Don't worry about all the stuff that you need. I'll take care of it. You just show me I'm number one. You just love what I love. You care about what I care about. And Jesus cares about reaching people. Jesus came and gave his life for people. And that's what he wants us to care about. That's what he wants to keep us up at night. Not where, where we're going to pay for things or if I'm going to get this or, or how am I going to spend all this money that I have. God wants the most bang for his buck. God wants to give you financial freedom. That's what he says in Matthew 6. We think of financial freedom as thinking I have so much money that I don't have to care about anything. Well, guess what? Even people with a lot of money have a lot of cares and a lot of concerns. Financially free, being financially free means that you don't care about money above God. Then you're financially free because God's got your back. You see, even poor people can be financially free. When they love God above their money, he takes care of them. Here's another question that comes up that I want you guys to to think about. Should God followers resemble their generous God? If our God is so generous with us and we claim to be his followers, we should look like him, right? A Christian literally is a little Christ, a Christ follower, And we're supposed to look like him. And he is so generous. Does he expect us to be generous? Yes. The real question is, are you a generous person? Because when it comes to giving, it's not just, do you put some money in the offering plate on Sunday? That's not what God's concerned about. That's not what I'm concerned about is, are you going to give to our church? Do you put money in the offering plate? God cares about your heart. And he wants to know, are you a generous person? Would your family say you're someone who is generous? Look at some of these scriptures that I put up here for you because I've got a lot of them. I thought I'd go quicker this way. Deuteronomy 15, 10, all through the scripture, God shows us back in the Old Testament, give generously to your needy brother and do so without a grudging heart. Then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. Be generous, I'll take care of you, he told way back, in, way back in Deuteronomy. Here in Psalms, I was young and now I'm old, yet I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. They are always generous and lend freely and their children are blessed. Look at here, this proverb, I love this one, 11, 24, 25. One man gives freely, yet he gains even more. He always has. Another withholds unduly, and he's the one that comes to poverty. A generous man will prosper. I love this part. Memorize this. Remember this. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. He who refreshes others. Look at this. 
In Matthew, Jesus is telling a story and he's telling a parable. And in this parable, he, he is the landowner and he has certain people come and work for him all day. He has certain people come and work for him for half a day. He has certain people come and work for him just one hour and he pays all of them the same. And so everybody's complaining at the end when they get their pay. And here's what they say. Here's what Jesus says to them. Take your pay and go. I want to give to the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. See, God has given everything to all of us. And one of the reasons that we're so greedy sometimes or so stingy is because we look at someone else who has more money than us and we think that's not fair. Why do they get more than I have? And here's God's perspective on that. He, He says in this parable, you came with nothing. You got nothing. If, if I came into this room today and someone handed me $10 and, uh, and then someone came in and, and handed Steve over here $100, I might be tempted to think that's not fair. I might be tempted to, to be stingy or greedy with my 10 bucks. But you know what? When I came into this room, did I have anything? So was God not generous with me? Didn't he give me my $10? That's pretty good, right? I came in, I got blessed. God gave me something. God blessed Steve with $100. He blessed me with $10. That's awesome. We shouldn't worry about what other people have. We're always going to have poor people and we're always going to have rich people. That's not for us to worry about. God says, what what do you care what I do with my money? Don't I have the right to give him more or her more or him less? Isn't it it my money? It's not yours. And so God is generous with us no matter what. Because, man, I didn't have anything when I came into this world. I can show you the pictures. I didn't have nothing. And... And, uh, and God's been generous with me. God's been generous with me. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to not worry about what other, other people have. I'm, my job is to be content with what I do have and to be generous with it. That's what God requires of me. Throughout scripture, God has always asked his people to be generous. We should be generous givers with our church that is reaching the world with Je- for Jesus, with causes around the world, with our community, and man, with our kids. Are you a cheapskate? Are you so stingy you won't spend money on anybody that you care about or love? Or are you a generous person? Are you someone who is generous? Here's the thing. We're never more like Jesus than when we give. I am never more like Jesus than when I give because he gave everything. He gave everything. And the more that I give, the more that I'm like Jesus. And the less that I give, the less that I'm like Jesus. I'm never more like Jesus than when I give. He gave everything. Here's a great question to to ask. What is a tithe? You'll hear Pastor Jeremy or Pastor Jeremiah say, we're going to take our tithes and our offerings. And maybe you've been to a church before and you've heard about this tithe. What is a tithe? Let's take a look. Look at Leviticus 27.30. What is a tithe? Can you stick that up there for us? Leviticus 27.30. All right, I'll look it up. Turn your Bible to Leviticus 20, there it is, 27.30. Leviticus, it says, A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord, it is holy to the Lord. Here is God giving his people in Israel the Old Testament law, and he's saying that I'm requiring you to give this tithe. The first 10%, that's what literally um, a tithe is, is one-tenth. Of everything that you have, I want you to give back to me. Okay, the top, the best, the first, that's what I want you to give back to me. Something that God required of his, of his Old Testament people. That's what a tithe is. And God commanded his people to give their first 
uh, that they had back. Tithing is something to kind of have mixed feelings on because some people think as long as I tithe, as long as I give 10% to God, as long as I give 10% to the church, then it doesn't matter whether I serve. It doesn't matter what I do. It doesn't matter where my heart is. I don't even have to like, like giving that money or care about what they do with it. As long as I give it, then God's happy with me. And that's just not the case. That's not the truth. Look at Matthew 23, 23. Turn there. Matthew 23, 23. Jesus here is talking to some people who had that idea. They were called Pharisees, and they, they were great at keeping rules. And if that's you, and you're a rule keeper, you say, okay, I'm just going to give my 10%. I've kept the rule. I'm good. Even if your heart stinks, here's what Jesus says to you. Matthew 23, 23. He says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. These people were such good rule keepers. They were such good tithers. They even gave 10% of their spices back to God. They gave 10% of their spices. And God wasn't pleased with that because they forgot the most important matters, things like justice and faithfulness and having compassion for people. And so we see people like that who, who kind of, we think that's just an Old Testament. You know, we see people like that who just give their 10% and their heart's not into it. But on the other hand, some people see that and they say, well, that's just legalistic. That's just Old Testament law. God doesn't want me to give that anymore. I'm not supposed to, to follow those laws. And, and that doesn't apply to me today. And you throw in the fact that there have been many religious leaders who have taken advantage of God's people and, and have used their money or God's money to fund their pet projects and to live their luxurious lifestyles. We've seen them on TV. We've heard about them in churches, probably even in in our community. And and you can see why people are so skeptical of giving. But again, if that's you, if you're saying, I don't need to give that, that's Old Testament. I don't need to give my 10%. God doesn't want that. He just wants my heart. He just wants me to care about him. You know, when we're singing open hands, we're saying, God, I give you my life. But we're saying, God, I give you my treasures. I give you everything. You're in charge of everything. And, um, and here, here look, at, look at Matthew 23, 23 again, because God says something to you too. Jesus here says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. In other words, I want you to care about people. I want you to care about justice. And I want you to care about righteousness and giving and those things. But listen, I'm not saying that you should only do those things and you stop your tithing, you stop your giving. You gotta do both. And so when we see people who are, who are legalistic, who just give their 10% and they don't have a care for anybody and, they're, and, they're, and um, they don't have any compassion, and we're saying, I don't wanna be like them, but I'm just gonna give God my heart and I'm gonna serve, 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 but I'm never gonna give my resources that's not the opposite. That, that, that's just as wrong as they are. Jesus says, no, I want you to have a heart and serve and give and be compassionate, but I want you to give your resources as well. That's the middle ground. That's what God asks from us. Let's take a look at, um, at some more scriptures here as we see kind of this, this pattern of this tithe. It wasn't just in the Old Testament law. It was actually before. Look at Genesis 4, the very first family that lived. Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. What's the difference between Cain's offering and Abel's? Abel brought the fat portions from the firstborn of his flock. 
And that's the whole root of the tithe is that we give God that first 10%, that top 10. It reminds us that, God, you're number one and everything I have is from you. And that's that root of that tithe. And that, that's hundreds of years before the Old Testament law, by the way. So it's not just Old Testament law. Look at Jacob 28, a couple chapters later. Or, I'm sorry, Genesis 28. It's about a man named Jacob. Jacob made a, vow, made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey that I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's house, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a, what's the last word? A tenth. He says, if I'm going to follow you, God, it means that I'm going to give you a tenth. Here's Jacob, again, hundreds of years before the Old Testament law, practicing this idea of a tithe. And then take a look at later in the Old Testament here in Malachi, God is talking, now he is talking to Israel here, the people of Israel. He says, will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. And people said, but, but you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. He said, when you're not giving me a tithe, you're robbing God. I don't want to rob God. That's what he told the people of Israel. And then it goes on again, even in the New Testament. Look at this one. We already read this earlier. Matthew six thirty three. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Here in the context of money, Jesus says, give your first to God. Give your first to God. Seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and he'll take care of all of your needs. And as those people who were sitting there, who were Jewish listeners, were listening to what Jesus said, they were listening and hearing first fruits, giving my first, they were hearing tithe. And Jesus was saying, I want you to keep doing this. Seek God first, and I'll take care of all that stuff. So Jesus continued it, even in the New Testament. And then look at 1 Corinthians 16, one last passage. Now about the collection for God's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. In other words, Paul said, when I come, I don't want to have to ask you. I just want you to be generous so you're ready. And so the person that comes that comes and gives to God like, oh, I got this here, I'll just give this, is a little bit different than what God described us to do or prescribed for us to do. He said that we should plan ahead. We should, we should come together and pray as a family, as a husband and wife, or as a single person and say, God, what is it that you require of me? And I'm going to set it aside. That's, I'm not going to touch that. That's not even mine to touch, to spend on myself. That's yours, God. Set it aside and uh, in keeping with your income. That sounds like a percentage, right? He didn't say this family give five and this family give five bucks and this family give five bucks and this family give five bucks because to this family over here, that's that's like everything. And to this family over here, that was like nothing compared to what they had. And so he said, you do it in keeping with your income. That sounds like a tithe, right? Like 10%, whatever it's supposed to be. And so tithing or giving to God through our local churches as it was practiced in the New Testament is taught and carried throughout the scriptures. And it would be hard for me to say that I don't need to do it today if I'm a follower of Jesus you may disagree with that, and that's okay, but just check your heart first. Because when people have come to, to me as a pastor or to one of our other pastors and, and, and have said, you know what, I don't think that we're supposed to tithe anymore. I, I think that's Old Testament. You know what, every time that, they, that someone's come and said that, it's, it's because they want to give God less. It's never because they want to give God more. And, and, and here's the thing. 
I got to remind myself of this too. I'm in this boat with you. I got to say to myself sometimes, John, if you are focused on how little you can give to God and get away with it, then you got bigger problems than just money. If your heart is focused on how little you can give to God, and then you got bigger problems than, than, than money. Because you and I stand in the shadow of a cross where Jesus gave us everything. And he continues to give us everything. My job, God gave that to me. My skills, my talents, my resources, God gave those to me. And we stand in the shadow of this cross where he gave us everything. And I'm going to argue with him that 10% is too much to give back. Are you going to argue with him about that? Wow. We should reflect our generous God. But I know, I know how some of you guys are feeling because maybe you're, you're, you're just kind of new information or it's just something you've struggled with and, and, and you're here for the first time, you're thinking, that's crazy. Like 10% of my income, that's a lot of money. And you know what? It is. I know it. It is a lot of money. I remember when I was a first Christian and Tara and I got married and, and uh, someone told us, you know, we, they taught us about tithes and offerings and things. And we started giving our tithes and, and uh, to our church. And, and I remember the first time that we were going to sit down and do taxes as a married couple, I called up my buddy who, who was my best friend in high school because he had been married longer and he knew how to do taxes. He had done them before. And, and I asked him for help. And, and when we came to the um, part of the, of the paperwork and we're filling it out. He said, he told me what to put in for the charitable giving. He said, just put this in as a standard deduction. You know, I'm sure you don't give more than that and just, just put that in. That's what everybody puts. And I said, well, I, actually, I got this paper from our church that says I gave this much. I told him what it was. And I mean, his literally his mouth dropped. He said, you give how much? See, because he, he had never been around anybody that tied before. I hadn't been around anybody that tied before, you know, uh, you know, growing up. I never thought about giving that much money. I, I thought I needed a lot of money to live on. And, and, and so it was crazy. So I understand, you know, how you feel if you're sitting here thinking, that's, you know, that, that is crazy. That's a lot of money. I, I'm under, I understand that. But now that you, you kind of he, have heard this information today and we've gone through the scriptures and seen it, you're responsible for this information. You're responsible for what you've, what you've heard and learned. Well, why does God ask us to tithe? I think because how we spend our first 10% says a lot about how I'm going to spend the other 90% that I have. If, if I'm willing to give that back to God, it reminds me that everything that I have isn't mine. Everything that I have isn't mine. And yesterday, Tara and I sat down. It didn't, it didn't, we didn't plan it that we were doing that before I gave this message, but we just happened to sit down yesterday. It was our, our time to kind of balance our checkbook and, and pay bills and kind of see how we did and or how we're doing this month and, and, and write out our, our, our tithe to the church and, and, uh, and our offerings to the church. And, and every time we do that, it just reminds me, everything that I have is from God. My job could be gone like that. Man, my, my, my ability to work and my livelihood could be gone like that. And everything that I have is the grace of God. And, and it reminds me every time I give that money back to him. And that's why God kind of put it in as a spiritual discipline that reminds us that everything we have comes from God. And he also knows that, I, that I'll, turn, I'll be generous with the rest of my, 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 that money that he's given me too. Because it, a tithe is a starting point, but it's not necessarily where we stop. Randy Alcorn, who's written a lot of books about uh, God's uh, finances and how to spend them and, and money and stuff, and you do well to pick up some of his books. Randy Alcorn says that uh, tithing is like training wheels for giving. He says if you don't need the training wheels, that's great. If you're already giving 20 or 50 or even 80% of your income, then you don't have to worry about tithing. But if you're not a giving or a generous person, then you need to start training yourself with a tithe. That's good advice. That's how we train ourselves. We set the standard and that's how we train. 
You know, the average Christian gives two and a half percent to God. And you know, is that you? It has to be a lot of us because we're an average church with average giving. And two and a half percent is a lot less than, than what God asks. And think of what our church could do if all of us stopped robbing God, as, as he says it in Malachi. God says it that way. As I was driving here on Friday to the office and I kind of had this message rolling around in my mind and, uh, and, and was thinking about this, I, man, I actually got pretty excited to think about what God could do through Grace Community Church if we all started to obey him in this area. I mean, think about eight orphanages instead of two. Think of all those kids that we could rescue. Think, think, about, uh, uh, think about campuses, not just in South Bend, but in Elkhart and, and in Fort Wayne. We have neighbors and friends that need to be reached with the gospel. Think about what could happen if we started to all obey God, about what God could do through our church if we all began to obey him. And, and I really believe this weekend, if we all begin to obey God, this could be the hinge that ushers in a new movement of God at Grace Community Church. And, and, and the best hand, the best move of God could be in front of us if we would all get this. This could literally be what starts, um, starts that movement, that wave of God movements at Grace that we're asking for him to give. We literally could be on the precipice of the greatest movement of God ever if we would all start to obey and we'd all start to tithe and give our offerings. Not only because of the resources that would be available, but also because all of us as a church would be living in obedience to God. And we would say, God, here we are, open hands. We're obedient to you. We're giving everything to you. You're in charge of us. Could you imagine what God would do through a group of people like this if we would all say that to him and we would all have those hearts? And nothing could stop us. Nothing could stop what God wants to do through us and through our church. It is hard to get started. It is going to be hard. I understand that. There's pain involved when you start exercising, right? The first time you go out, you decide you want to start living a healthy lifestyle. The first time you go out there and run that mile, guess what? You ain't going to feel so good. You're not going to get healthy. You're not going to be like, man, I ran that mile. Man, this feels great. That's going to hurt. You got to work through some pain. You got to work through soreness if you're going to get healthy. But listen, over time, living a healthy lifestyle has all kinds of benefits for you. And the same is true with your money. If you are willing to be generous, it's going to hurt at first. You're going to have to sacrifice, pull some things back that you want to spend money on. But listen, over time, generous living will benefit you. Remember, a person who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. You'll have the joy of giving. It is awesome to give. There is joy in giving and helping others. You'll have the joy of working with God to see people get saved and see people's lives getting changed. So push through that pain and get started. So a tithe is when we give our first 10% of our resources to God. It's the starting point for our giving. And when I say it's a starting point, here's the next question I want to answer. What is an offering then? When we say tithes and offerings, what's an offering? Well, an offering, according to the scripture, is what we give above our tithe. And so we never give an offering until we give a tithe first. So what we give on top of that, then that's called an offering. Free will offerings above tithes was a regular happening in the New Testament. When you study the New Testament, Matthew to Revelation, you'll see man, they gave it way more than their 10%. We're going to look at a passage here in a second. Um, you've heard Jim challenge you before that, that he personally doesn't, try, doesn't want to give more to the government than he does to God. And so he, he gives 15% as his tithe. And, and that's something that Tara and I shoot for as well. That's our, that's our personal goal. You may need to give more than that. See, it's not about how far you go. God gives us a starting point, but then where we go from there, I mean, that's up to us. And, and, uh, and over time, 
our goal wasn't to stay there, but to continue to, to be able to give more. And, and some of you guys have been a part of that over your lives. You've seen that happen for you. Um, look, at new, look at what the New Testament Christians did in Acts chapter 4. So you're in Matthew. Turn a couple books ahead to Acts chapter 4, verse 32. Acts 4.32. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone as he had need. They gave way more than their 10%. It says, no one claimed that any possession was his own. God loves the local church. God has established the local church as his vehicle to spread his gospel over the world. The church is the hope of the world. I believe that with all my heart. That's why I love our church and other churches. We are the hope of the world. We are God's megaphone to share and proclaim his name to those who have yet to hear. We are his megaphone to share truth with each other, to love each other, to to live in community, to care for each other's needs. We are the way that God's going to save the world, the church, the local church. And so a Christian's giving should start with their local church, the place where they are fed, the place where they are instructed, and the place where they're held accountable, and the place where they are cared for. The New Testament is really clear about that. You can write down some of these verses. Galatians 6.6 6 says that uh, those who instruct you, that's where you give. 1 Corinthians 16, we looked at a couple of the verses, but if you look at that, it, it, was, it was the idea that they brought their resources into the church and the church distributed them. Hebrews 13.17 talks about how we need to, to, um, to, to follow the leadership of our local church and, and how we support them and lift them up as they lead us and as they care for the resources that God's given our church. And let me just quickly say there, um, as an elder, I've been an elder for six years now, and I can just, with, a, with an honest heart, confess to you that none of our elders are concerned about money for themselves. None of our elders, that doesn't motivate any of them. I know these men, and, and I'm one of them, and, and none of them are motivated by that. And so we, have a, we, have a, we are blessed with an elder team that really desperately wants to reach our world for Jesus and wants to use the resources that he's given us for that. That doesn't mean that we're going to be perfect. That doesn't mean that we're going to make some bad decisions. That doesn't mean that, you know, we're going to be, you know, totally right, um, like make the wise decision and everything, but we're going to do our best to do that and to make right decisions. I can promise you that. Even here in this passage in Acts that we looked at, Acts 4, they brought the money from the sales to the church where it was distributed. That's the pattern in the New Testament. And sometimes I think we're hesitant to do that, because of what we've seen from greedy church leaders, and, and I totally understand that. But, but then that doesn't mean that we should stop doing it. That's God's pattern. We just need to find a place, find a church that, that is interested in reaching the world so we can feel good about the resources that God's given us that we're passing on. If you want to get involved in how, get more involved in how God's money is spent here at Grace, then get involved in serving. And you'll begin to see the lives that are being impacted. You'll begin to see what God is doing. It is awesome, the movement of God that is happening through his church. In Acts, the believers brought their money to the church, and listen, the church changed the world. 
We can change the world. We, we are the vehicle that God wants to use. He wants to bless us. He wants to do crazy miracles among us. He wants to pour his blessing. He wants to do that, and he will do that as we are obedient and give. Think of the ways that uh, God has, has blessed our church, or as God has, has um, used what you have given in your giving and, and some of the people that have been affected. You know, we could never pull off a judgment house without resources. That's, that's an expensive ministry. But think about over a four-year period of time, over a thousand people gave their hearts to Jesus just through judgment house. You think about what God did. You think about Steve and Sue sitting right over here, leading our Through the Roof ministry here at Grace, our special needs ministry. These guys love on our special needs kids like you wouldn't believe. And they got saved because of Judgment House. Now they're here in our church. And there are others who are here from Judgment House. You think about how you guys gave and uh, we were to build a a facility like we have and we built the link. And I know a guy like Duff Hickok, who came to a funeral that Jim Cramer passed away. You guys remember Jim? I love Jim, miss Jim. Can't wait to see him again in heaven. He came to Jim's funeral and he walked into our church. And he walked into the link and he looked around and said, this place is different than any church I've ever been to. And, and he, came to sun, he came that very next Sunday and he got saved and he got baptized. He went on a mission trip with me and his son went to Philadelphia on a mission trip. And he is now serving on our facility team where we open up our building every week. He got saved because of our facility. God used it. And now he's serving in our facility as we are reaching people. There are hundreds of people in our church who have come because we've opened up our facility because you guys gave. We would never have that if people hadn't given. You guys gave and were able to pull off blitzes all year long. And not only are there a lot of fun, but we're actually making a dent for the kingdom of God through our blitzes. Do you guys know that? You know what? There's a guy, you guys know Terry and Julie Wagner, some of our deacons in our church. Terry was going through Basher and Green. That corner right there, he got a can of pop. He got a donut. And God used that. He was going through turmoil in his life. God turned his life around through Grace Community Church and through others that were involved in praying. And now he is involved in uh, reaching orphans around the world, rescuing orphans. There are so many more people. I remember there's a family in our church that I met the lady the first time at a gas station. I was washing her windows while Tara was talking to her. We were doing a community blitz last spring, and now she is one of our key people up in Kid City. And man, I love that she is serving and what she is doing. She's influencing your kids because you guys gave so we could have a blitz. You guys gave, and we were able to have a youth ministry here at Grace. Someone like a Whitney Munn could grow, up in our, could grow up in our church and be influenced by you and be influenced by her family, working together with our ministry at Axis. And now she is living in Peru, loving on orphans. Every time I get to team up with the student leaders at Axis, man, I do it. You guys need to get involved in our teen ministry. It is awesome. If you come here on a Wednesday night, you got to watch out. There's so many of them running around. It's a little dangerous, but it is Great, and I wouldn't trade it for anything. We need more resources for our youth. There are so many teens that we need to reach in Goshen, and we need more youth sponsors, people like you who are pouring into the lives of those teenagers so we have more stories like Whitney Munn. We need, to, we need to give more. We need to throw all that we can there. But you guys gave, and we were able to have access. You guys gave, and we could pass out bumper stickers. And think of so many families that have been found, that have found Jesus, because they came to a She Is series, or a He Is series, or a We Are series, because they saw it on someone's bumper sticker. You think of the marriages that have been saved because of that. You guys gave, and we could turn the lights on 
and pay a salary for pastors and pay a salary for staff. We were able to heat the building, cool the building, turn the lights on. You guys give and we were able to do those things so we can inspire grace attenders to live for God and to have their eyes open to the hurting around them. One grace attender recently got up at a restaurant because she saw a woman who was being verbally abused by this man and he stormed off out of the restaurant after he got done laying into her. This grace attender got up and walked over to her and said, you don't need to live like that. And if you want help, you call up my church, Grace Community Church, and you talk to one of our pastors. That woman took, that, took her up on that offer. She called and talked to one of our pastors, and she was living in so much fear and so much, listen, literal bondage and slavery here in our community. And, and she was so fearful, but she got saved. She gave her heart to Jesus. She got out of that situation. She is living now where she is, where she is um, um, not being hurt anymore. Her life is going great. She has a relationship with Jesus because you guys gave. I want to say thank you for giving to Grace Community Church. Thank you for seeing what God has done or being a part of what God has done because we were willing to give. Think of the thousands of lives who've been changed over the years here at Grace. Think of the rescued orphans in Asia who aren't in sex slavery today, but instead are being loved on by Christian parents who love them because you guys gave. Think of the kids in our church who are rescued from drugs. Think of the marriages that have been saved. Think of the number of convicts that are sitting right here in our services today because we have a a ministry like Grace in Jail because you guys gave and we're in the jails and we're reaching people. Think about the children that come to Kid City each week that I get to see that our volunteers love your kids and are dedicated to pouring Jesus into them. And they're able to come to a place where they are secure, where they are safe, and where they are hearing about God's word. And we're working with you as parents to try to raise lifelong followers of Jesus. None of that happens if we don't give. God is changing the world through his church. God is changing the world like he did in Acts. We can't forget that we are in a war. And there are more that need to be reached. That means that we need to get on a budget. So we know where our money is going. It's okay to go on vacations. God did it in Genesis. Look it up. And it's okay to plan and save for the future. God says you're a fool in Proverbs if you don't plan for the future. I'm not saying don't do those things. God says it's okay to take care of your family. In fact, God says you're the worst kind of person if you don't care for your needs of your family. So I'm not saying any of that. I'm not saying you can't do any of those things. But God says don't overspend on the stuff you don't need, stuff that will go to waste when those resources were given by God to you with another purpose. We are in a war. We are to use our finances so that we can be generous with God and with others who need our help. Randy Alcorn calls this a strategic lifestyle. I want all of us at Grace to be living strategically. Like those who were living in America during the world wars where they changed the way they lived. They were willing to give up some things because they knew there was a greater cause. Let's be willing to live strategically because there are people who still need to be reached. There are kids who still need to be rescued. There are some who still need to find that Jesus Christ can change their past, take away all their junk, the way that he's done it for you, the way that he's done it for me, and can give them a new future. And that means that we need to live strategically. And here's what I mean by strategic lifestyle. We should determine what level of living that God is requiring us to live at and then just stay there. Just stay there at that level of living. And anything that you get on top of that, you just give it away so that people can hear about Jesus. 
That's strategic living. Sometimes we're tempted to think that when I get a raise or when I get extra money, that I'm supposed to just buy more stuff for myself or more for myself. And, and maybe God sent that to you as a test. 1 Corinthians 9 says that we are generous, are, have been given generously from God so that we can be generous with others. He's not generous with us so that I can have more. He didn't give me more so that I can take more. He gave me more so that I could give it out. I'm God's middleman. And if I'm blowing money every week on groceries because I don't know how to budget, I'm just overspending, that's money that could have saved an orphan. If I'm blowing money every week because I'm, I'm paying so much interest on debts because I'm up to my ears in debt because I selfishly think I need to have the best and I need to have the newest and I need to have the biggest of everything. Man, I'm stealing God's money. I'm robbing God's money, according to Malachi, and I'm spending it on myself when he intended for that to be used to reach people with the gospel. And if that's me, then I need to repent. I need to get out of debt. And I need to start living generously with the resources that God gave me and use his resources for the purpose for which he gave them to me. I don't think that our automatic thought should be every time we get money that or extra money that we're supposed to spend it on ourselves. Do you want to know what happens to the excess, the luxury things that we spend on ourselves? Take a field trip to the dump with your family. This would be awesome. Take your family to the dump. Seriously, pick your kids up after school this week and just go there. And just watch, take the smell in. Take the sights in. Listen, spend your next vacation there because you will be a changed person. Do you realize that in our dump here at Elkhart County, I guarantee you, there are Christmas presents from four months ago, right? We spend so much on excess, on things we don't need. Well, it's time again. I'm just going to give more and give extra and give more. And, and we overindulge ourselves. And you know what? You, just, you can only do so much. You only have one life to live. I mean, you really don't need all that. And so what happens to it? It wears out or we stop wearing it. So we give it away or we throw it out. We trash. It goes to the dump. Resources that God intended to be used for people to find him. And they're laying in the dump right now. And we need to pray and seek God for what our individual lifestyle should be. God, what are you asking me to give? See, I have no right to judge you. You have no right to judge me. The way that I live my life is, that, is, is between God and I. The way that you live your life is between you and God. And I'm not going to judge your lifestyle. God has, some call, God has called some of us to reach the rich in Manhattan. And God has called some of us to reach the inner city, Philadelphia, God has given us all different callings. And so we're going to be at different standards of living and different levels of living. And that's okay. That's okay. You're not going to judge me. I'm not going to judge you. But listen, I need to make sure that when God judges me, that I've been generous and I've used my resources that he gave me for what he wanted me to use them for. I'm going to stand before God one day. And I care about what he thinks. And so what you do is you take out that piece of paper and you write down on the top, here's what's coming in an in income. And then you write underneath it, here's, here's what God wants me to give. And then you write underneath that, here's what kind of goes to taxes. You can't do anything about that. And then what's left, after you subtract that, that's what's left for us to live on. But what happens is we say, I can't tie all any money left. It's because we put our other things on the top of the list. We said, well, I need this, and I want this, and I'm going to have this, and I'm going to be like her, so I need this too. And we get down to the end, and we say, there's none left. That's why God says you need to give your first, your top. You can do with less. 
And over time then, we're able to give more and more and more. By the way, I know someone from Philadelphia who by the end of their life was living on 10% of their income and giving 90% away. They just kept saying, God, I want to be generous. And they kept giving and God kept blessing and they kept giving and God kept blessing and kept giving. So, so a tithe, don't stop there. Man, God wants us to be generous. We can even give more. We are just God's middle men. Suppose I want to send a package to my family in, in Pennsylvania. And so I, I, I hire UPS. And the delivery person comes and I hand them the package so they can take it to my family because I have something I want to give them. Suppose that delivery person, instead of delivering it, though, takes it to their home, opens it up, gets outside whatever was inside, and keeps it. What am I going to think of that person? Am I going to use their company again? Am I going to have fond thoughts about UPS if that's them? What if God sent you some resources as a delivery person because he wanted to reach an orphan? Or he wanted to reach a person here in Elkhart County who needs to know about Jesus. Or he wanted to reach a person here who needs food. And you, instead of delivering that resource where it was supposed to go, took it home, opened it up, and kept it for yourself. What's God going to think of your company? Is God going to give you and trust you with more resources so that you can keep doing that? We are God's middlemen. And the more that we realize that we need to live in a strategic lifestyle, God is going to continue to bless us. We'll be living with his blessing in our life because we'll be in obedience to him. You know, I bet some of you guys prayed a little differently for, for Japan after last week you gave your shoes. Because where, our, where our, our hearts go, where our money is, and when we give to something, we care about it a lot more. And you guys probably prayed a little harder this past week for those in Japan than maybe you did the previous weeks as you were watching on the news. Because our money goes where our heart is. You want to see God do incredible stuff in your heart? You want God to change your heart? You want God to unleash his power in your heart? And you start to give. And you'll see God do awesome things. It's not just our shoes. It's everything that we have. Let's pray. Lord God, we love you so much. You've been so generous with us. We don't deserve anything that we have. It's all a gift from a gracious God. And so, Lord, you ask us to be generous back. Lord, I pray for obedience. I pray, Lord, that people who, who are tempted to come up with, with excuses, Lord, with, with reasons why they can't give, why they can't be generous, God, that they would just be willing to repent of that and take the steps necessary, Lord, to begin to live in obedience to you. Lord God, judge me. Convict my selfish heart, Lord, that wants to spend too much on me and on what I want to do. God, I pray that you would, would do a great work in my heart so that I will look more like my Savior who gave everything for me. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.